Brothers and sisters, we are delighted to be meeting here on this beautiful Sunday. The uh, the elders failed to clean the chapel yesterday, so you might be able to hear them cleaning the chapel in the background, uh, the vacuum going off during this sacrament meeting. But we have a very special uh, guest in this sacrament meeting. Sister Stone has decided to uh, to kindly join us and uh, and get into her story a little bit. Sister Stone, would you like to give a kind of brief introduction to the lovely saints of the XX Mormon Podcast Ward? Yes, hello. Um, I am Sister Stone. I have been an apostate for many years, and I'm just here to uh, share my experience about... about how I think it's a little different for me compared to what I've heard on the other episodes of mm-hmm. this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. That is, yeah, that's always an interesting thing is that we've all had these kind of similar ish experiences, right? Uh, but then there are these, these distinctions um, that, that make it a little bit unique. So why don't you start us off? Uh, tell us, where where you grew up? Were you born in the church? Like, is that like a big family thing? Yes. So my my ancestors came over with Brigham Young, and they were oh wow oh yeah we big are deal. like Mormon royalty yep um, or at least according to my my dad his yeah. dad lived in Utah and then they moved to California and um, so he, he grew up with inactive parents, but he was very uh, devoutly Mormon. Mm. And about half of his siblings um, stuck with the church. He went on a mission. He did all the Mormon things. Um, And then my mom, her dad was not Mormon, but her mom was. But they Mm. were divorced, so she lived with her mom. So she was raised in the church. Mm -hmm. And then, um, therefore my whole family has, has been raised all my sisters and I. So, um, mostly we grew up in Eastern Washington, which is a very densely Mormon, um, populated area. And, uh, you know, I did all four years of seminary. I, I went to church every Sunday for all of my childhood up until Mm. I was 18 and could come up with excuses to not go anymore. Mm. So, um, and it was not by my choice to go to church. So I never had that option to skip. You know, it was, if I stayed home from church because I was sick, I wasn't allowed to watch TV. Mm -hmm. I had to just be sick in bed. So. (sighs) That, so it sounds like, go ahead. It sounds like nothing about church, church really stuck. Like you went through primary, you went through seminary, but you're like living a double life. Absolutely. I, I, I have never had a testimony. I've never had an answered prayer. I never felt the spirit. I tried so hard. And that's what's, what I think is a little different is um, for me, because I, I had all the shame and the guilt that comes with being a believing Mormon, but I, I didn't really know what I was feeling guilty about, I didn't believe it, but I, I definitely was terrified of going to hell or Mm -hmm. outer, outer darkness. So, um, (laughs) you know, and I had all the, (laughs) I love the concept of Mormon heaven. Mormons have like their own definitions and words for things. It's really funny. Yeah. 
Oh yeah. So, you know, I, I tried to be such, I, I was very much a rule follower. Mm. Um, so that made it really hard when I, I didn't really believe in what I was doing, but I was like, I see all my friends who were on the outside appeared to be these perfect uh, Mormon examples and they believed everything and they loved going to the, the temple baptism trips. And uh, I'd see them making out with their boyfriend after school. And I'm like, so scandalized. I'm like, I don't even believe this shit, but like, I'm not going to make out because then I'd have to go talk to my Bishop. And Mm -hmm. so I was very offended by all the hypocrisy and, um, and I internalized a lot of that too. Mm -hmm. So I was so judgmental, even though I didn't believe it on the like spiritual level. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I, I know I, I did similar things and um, I'm curious, do you think like you were so strictly following the rules because you were trying to get that, those answers, like because you were trying to feel the spirit, you were like, I got to follow the rules if I want to get those answers everyone's talking about, or did you already kind of like put it by the wayside, but you still kept it anyways? Um, I think a lot of it has to do with us trying to be what my parents expected Mm -hmm. um, and what everybody in church expected. So, you know, outwardly I did all the, I went through all the motions and I did try a little bit. Like I remember being told, um, you know, if you want a testimony, you should pray for it. Mm -hmm. And I like kind of half asked those prayers and then I would sit and think, and I'm like, I feel nothing. (laughs) I don't feel a spirit. I don't have a testimony, but I'd say all the words. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of tried to, to have those feelings. I did go to one temple baptism trip, but every time I tried to sincerely gain a testimony or to sincerely feel the spirit, it was always left with like, this feels dumb. This feels (laughs) bad. Like I I went to one temple trip and I remember on the way home, I'm thinking, I never want to do that again. (laughs) Not ever. Really? What, what was it that like made you be like, no, thank you. Um, I, so we had, at the time we didn't have a local temple, so we had to like drive across the state. And, um, so we, we went through the actual bapt and it was beautiful. Like the font was beautiful. Everything was like just so perfectly curated. Um, and, and it was fun. I got to sit on a bus with my friends and, mm. and then we go through the temple and then we're sitting in the, um, whatever, room outside of the font after we all get dressed and everything. And they're inviting everyone to share their testimonies. And everyone is saying things like, I could just feel the spirits on the other Mm. side of the veil. And, you know, they're all sharing this. And I'm like, do you hear yourself? You sound (laughs) insane. And it was just kind of that realization, like, I'm not like these people. This is not me. I don't believe any of it. And yet I was still scared into believing it. So either there's something wrong with me or there was something wrong with everybody else. And, you know, when you're faced with that, you, it's hard to think that there's something wrong with every, 
every other person, mm-hmm. you know, how can everyone be wrong? It must be me. Mm-hmm. So it was just, you know, slowly taking those steps back. And it wasn't until I was, um, probably about 20 or 21 where I was like, okay, like, no, these people are absolutely insane. (laughs) This is not, this is not a me problem anymore. Yeah. Bishop, you look like you have a question. Okay. So like all through high school, basically like you feel like you don't belong. Like this isn't my place, but you're going along with it because of the level of the parental expectations. And then, yeah. Yep. And then you're just kind of, the hellfire and brimstone is kind of making you afraid of going to hell, even though you don't believe in the whole thing, you're still afraid of going to hell. Yes. So a couple things. I remember not feeling like I belonged even when I was a little kid. So I have this distinct memory of being in primary and gosh, I couldn't have been, I was definitely younger than eight because I I had not been baptized yet. And we're having this lesson and they were talking about um, something in the Book of Mormon. And like half these kids can't even read yet, but they have us open our Book of Mormon um, to whatever page. And I look over at the kid next to me. His name was Timmy. And we were real good friends. And he has his Book of Mormon and he's got all these lines like highlighted and read. And he has these little symbols drawn in the margins. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, like, where did he get that? How come I don't have And I'm like, well, he must be like a real Mormon. And I don't even know what this Book of Mormon is. Like, I was pretty oblivious, I think. And then I went home and I asked my parents, like, why don't I have a Book of Mormon? Like, am I not, am I not allowed to? And they're like, well, when you get baptized, that's when we give you your first Book of Mormon. And I'm like, oh, so I'm, I'm not part of the club yet. Yeah. So, so. So Timmy's like seven and he's highlighting things in his scriptures. Yeah. They had like so, 12 kids. They were like legit Mormons. They were, they were hardcore. So, like is Timmy on a compound or something? Like where is he now? <laughs> you know? I'm just trying to, like if this is where you are at seven, where are yeah. you going to be at 30 or whatever? Like is he on a compound in Idaho or? You know, do you I know? don't know. Yeah. I I briefly uh, was in touch with him after college because of Facebook. And then it was like, yeah, he's just doing like California boy things. So like mm. going surfing and stuff. And I'm like, all right, he's seems normal. Yeah, but interesting. no, it was just such a, it was a weird uh, moment where I realized as a kid, like this, I didn't feel like I was, I was really part of the club, I guess. Um, And then, oh, I was going to, oh, and then through high school, you know, I kept coming up against, I think you guys call them shelf items, but for me, it was like, I never really believed. And so I was trying to make everything fit Mm -hmm. on the shelf, but it just never supported anything. So I never really had a shelf break. It was just, I was trying to. You're trying to build a shelf in the first place. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, And you had asked something else, Bishop, that I I can't remember what it was. But yes, I was absolutely terrified of of going to hell because of the way things were presented to me, particularly in seminary. I think seminary is when I really started internalizing all of that Hmm. um, guilt and shame. And um, I do remember one lesson we were talking, and I don't remember anything about the actual Bible book of Mormon verses. 
I mean, a little bit, but we were talking about probably revelations. I'm not sure. And the second coming. And then my seminary teacher had brought up this, um, this idea that all your sins will be shouted from the rooftops and everyone's going to know all the horrible shit you did. And I'm like, Oh my God, my dad's going to know all like the, the boys I've been making out with. And it was just like this most horrific feeling. And I'm like, I can't, I can't have that happen because Mm -hmm. my parents were very strict. My dad's a rageaholic. My mom's a bipolar narcissist. I mean, it's, it was a very abusive mostly mentally, very lightly physically abusive, but um, a very emotionally abusive household. And so the idea of my dad knowing these things that I'd done, he's going to know that I smoked a cigarette when I was 14 with my friends because we snuck out of the house, like absolutely gut-wrenching. And that was what drove me to have my first bishop's interview. Mm. And that was, um, could have been worse. It, I think my bishop was one of the good ones where, um, thankfully, he just he looked uncomfortable, which I'm like, you should. If a 15-year-old girl comes in and mm-hmm. starts telling you about uh, heavy petting, um, you know, it's just <laughs> – I didn't know There's, what that was. That's like another like Mormon I, trademark, right? It's like the, the yeah. words – Necking mor- and petting. The Necking words Mormons pe- yeah. use to say things, like it's very – specific yeah 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 so he tells me like oh you have to read these scriptures say 10 hail marys and and abstain from the sacrament for four weeks and Mm -hmm. i leave and i'm like okay that wasn't so bad i'm not gonna pray about it but okay like i don't actually want to read these scriptures um but i i check talk to the bishop and now i'm i just have to abstain from the sacrament for four weeks or whatever and the next week in sacrament meeting, they pass the bread mm-hmm. around and I'm sitting next to my family and I just pass it. And my dad looks at me and I'm like, oh, fuck. Like mm-hmm. he knows I did mm-hmm. something wrong. And as I understood it, there were basically three sins that would cause you to have to abstain from the sacrament. That is drugs, sex, or murder. And I'm like, well, he knows I didn't kill anyone. So that leaves drugs or sex. Like I've outed myself like a friggin' idiot. Mm-hmm. So the water comes around and I'm like, Nope, I'm just going to take the shot. Don't care. I'm going to hell. Mm-hmm. I'd much rather go to hell than my dad know that I've been skipping seminary to make out with boys in the seminary parking lot. So like first thing in the morning. Oh no. So oh, you, had release. So oh, you had release time. We had release time, so okay. yeah. yeah, yeah. Did you have release? And time, I had Bishop? a minivan. Got uh, no. I was early morning, so definitely no making out with anybody at six a.m. <laughs> yeah, really. we definitely ran away and hid, but it was just making out was still a little early, still a little <laughs> bit of morning breath risk. Yeah, yeah. See, I, I, I had release time. The the joys of being raised in the righteous south end of the the city. We had uh, release time programs in the South, but not in the North where Bishop grew up. So, so sad. Um, You weren't as righteous. Um, But yeah, so you're, you're skipping seminary. Fill us in, like, what was the rest of your, like, growing up experience like? Were you, like, itching to get out and, like, to, to move on? Or 
were you still like maybe this will work like what was your what was your graduation plan i guess i so it's a little complicated because i think i only ever really stayed as devout quote unquote devout because mentally i mean i was pimo from you know 8 years old i I was only ever showing that much devotion, I guess, because of my dad. My mom was kind of on and off, and uh, but my dad was always very um, strict and very into the church. So I, even after I graduated high school, so I didn't really think I was going to go to college because as um, many Mormon ladies have experienced, we were told you don't go to college to get an education. Mm. You're not going to have a career. You're going to get married and have kids. And and I remember a very specific young women's um, lesson where they said the only reason a woman should get an education is to temporarily provide for her family should her husband die or become unemployed. And I'm like, oh, guess I'm not going to college. Like, why should I care how my grades are in in school? So it was kind of this apathy towards getting an education and um, just expecting to coast into the family life. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, I've never wanted kids. So that was another one of those um, conflicting thoughts in in with my personal desires versus what the church wanted for me. So um, I didn't expect to go to college. I, so I was living with my dad, working um, retail and, and I would go to church with him. I was, most of my friends had gone to college, you know, BYU, Idaho or, or like the good BYU. So um, they, with some gentle shade throwing here. Um, so I was like the only young single adult in the entire ward because it was a family ward Mm -hmm. and they kept trying to get me to go to YSA. And I'm like, no, I don't want to marry some Mormon guy. Um, and then I started picking up Sunday shifts at work and I tell my dad, like, I don't have a choice. They keep scheduling me for Sundays. Mm-hmm. You know, it's retail. This is where they need the mm-hmm. the help. And so really I was requesting that I work weekends so that I wouldn't have to go to church. Um, so I was, I was okay at that point leading that double life mm-hmm. um, for appearances. And um, I also at the time started dating my first serious boyfriend was Muslim. Hmm, okay. So if that, if that wasn't like a huge, like red flag to my dad, like, Hey, guess what? I don't want to be married in the temple, Yeah. but I think he was still holding out. So it was such a strange. So you mentioned you were like, you were living with your dad. Did your parents end up splitting up? Oh yes. Yes, they did. They got, <laughs> so fun okay. story. No, it was great. My mom was an asshole. Well, so is my dad. Um, <laughs> so they are assholes. Uh, they got divorced when I was in, I was just about to graduate high school. They announced that they're getting divorced. And this is not 
really related to Mormonism, but it's like my favorite story of my parents. Um, my friend, uh, I had a friend in church who was like the bad influence. I'd known her since sixth grade. She was the one who kept me sane in all of our, um, you know, young women's and church activities. She and I had been plotting for a while, like we're going to smoke some marijuana. Like I hadn't done it yet and we're going to do it. Today's the day. I was like, I'm going to hang out with her after church. And we had a whole plan. We're going to meet at the park. Yada, yada. She, she was supplying because she had her connections being the bad influence. So I'm like, okay, I'll call you. You know, when I get home, I'm going to go home and like grab, change my clothes, whatever. And my dad, I walk in the door after church and he's like, Hey, we're having a family meeting. And I'm like, no, not Are today. You, oh, before you went out. Not after church and before I went uh, okay. out with my friend. So yeah. um, usually family meetings were like, we're going to start doing Bible study as a family mm -hmm. together. And mm -hmm. it's like, we've tried this like five times and I don't, it never works out because mm -hmm. nobody cares. So they sit us down. They call my sister who's living in another state and uh, they announce that they're getting divorced. And I'm like, they're cutting into my weed smoking time just to tell me this shit. Like, like we didn't know. So half my sisters are like sobbing, you know, they're just, their world is over. And, and after they make this announcement and I'm like, can I go now? And they're like, yeah, well, if you need to talk, I'm like, I'm just okay. going to go talk to my friend. She's going to really help me process this. And so I go upstairs to grab my purse and my little sister like rips me into her bedroom and she shuts the door and we're both like, yay, this is the best thing ever. My parents are getting divorced because it was so overdue. They were mm -hmm. terrible yeah. for each other. And, uh, and we were the youngest, my, my little sister and I were the youngest and we were the ones who had to deal with it. We're mm -hmm. the only ones living at home anymore. So then I go smoke weed in the park with my friend and, uh, and that was, you know, it was a long journey for them to finally actually get divorced. And now they're each on their third spouse. So they're clearly um, very rule following themselves. So I guess Mormonism isn't like strictly no divorce, but they're not the best examples. Right. When you talk about your dad being a, a rage monster, your mom being a, a narcissistic uh, psychopath, do you have any like examples from your childhood you feel comfortable sharing that kind of illustrate how they were yeah i mean so my dad was um so here's a great example um when i was in high school i probably would have been about 16 15 or 16 my dad would so he was not so physically abusive with me but a little bit more so with my sisters like he would drag my sister to the car by her hair to force her to go to church um, he, one time I told him, I don't want to, like, I was finally starting to stand up for myself when I was about 16. And I was like, I don't want to go to church. Well, why don't you want to go to church? Cause I don't believe it. I don't want to go. Well, then you're going to go anyways. Blah, blah. What do you think? You're just going to sit here and watch TV all day. And I'm like, I, I don't care what I do. I don't want to go to church. And so he basically threatened to, I don't know, either ground me for a month. I wasn't allowed to do any extracurricular activities. Wasn't allowed to you know, see my friends or anything, or I could go to church. And I was like, I, I don't want to, but you know, 
I didn't really have a choice. So he forced me into the car, physically forced me into the car. I wasn't dressed for church. I didn't have any shoes on. It was May in Eastern Washington. So it was like 85 degrees out. Not, not too hot, but you know, definitely not cool enough to sit in the car. So he expected me to sit in the car for three hours during church. And I'm like, it's like a hundred degrees in the car unless I leave the door open. So I walked home barefoot like two miles in the middle of the day in May, like hot asphalt. I mean, just, it was that sort of with narcissists. And I would say my dad is also um, somewhat of a narcissist as one of my therapists has explained to me, it is fear me or adore me. And that Mm. if that doesn't explain my dad, then, you know, I don't know uh, how else to frame it because everybody at church loved um, my dad. Mm -hmm. And I almost said his name, (laughs) uh, you know, it was just, he was, he was this, he's six foot three. And at the time was probably about 450 pounds. So that dragging you to the car to go Mm -hmm. to church, you're not resisting it. Oh yeah. Um, and he would, for us at home, if he wanted to yell at us, he would get in our face and scream like a drill sergeant. I mean, scream at the top of his lungs. So of course I was afraid of him. He was like, like four of me, you know, being over 400 pounds. So, um, that's probably a good example of, of how my dad threatened us to go to church and why I didn't really try too hard to leave while I was living with him. Yeah. Um, as far as my mom, so she is apparently just now finding out that she's bipolar, but I've sort of known all along. And we knew that my mom had like her depressive phases and looking back, she would go through these stages of being extremely devout. Like, I mean, the most pious person following all of the rules. And then she'd go through phases where she didn't care. She'd get a second piercing in her ear. She'd talk about wanting to get tattoos. And and I'm realizing that her manic highs were correlating with her um, desire to be uh, a good Mormon. You know, we weren't allowed to listen to Mariah Carey. We weren't allowed to watch Sabrina the Teenage Witch. It was just, she'd go through these crazy phases that um, she was almost more devout than my dad. And when that happened, oh, oh, it was terrible. I mean, we would have to do family home evening. And I'm like, I don't want it. I have homework. I have so many things I'd rather be doing than reading the book of Mormon with my family and eating a muffin or whatever the fuck it was like, (laughs) you know, they'd force us to read the, I can't tell you how many times they were like, we're going to sit down and read the book of Mormon as a family from start to finish. Mm -hmm. And we're going to do, you know, so many chapters per night. And uh, finally I was probably middle school and they were trying to force me to, participate. And I sat there, I had my book of Mormon closed on the floor and um, we're all going in this circle and they're like, Megan, it's your turn to read sister stone. It's your turn to read. And I'm like, I don't want to. And my mom would say, well, you need to read. And she would, she had this tone of her voice where she would like speak through her clenched teeth, but it was like the most angry and, um, terrifying way to talk to somebody. It was just like, it was so threatening. And 
um, my only other option. So she would just like, you are going to read it. Blah, blah, blah. And, and I obviously, I never felt like I had a choice. I just did what I was told. And I, you know, one of those times I dug my heels and I'm like, nope, not happening. So I had to sit and stare at the blinds and listen for like an hour. I wasn't allowed. They closed the window, so I couldn't even look out the window. They're like, you're going to look at the blinds. I'm like, okay. So it was just kind of those weird. I, I don't know. I keep saying I didn't have a choice. And anytime I tried to make that choice for myself, it was, there were ridiculous consequences. Yeah. So. Yeah. Really. Anyway, today's episode is brought to you by daddy issues. Yeah. 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 Well, and so this is- I'm I'm curious, like, you talk about how everyone in the ward, you know, had this love for, for your father. Did you guys, because it sounds like very obviously on the back end, like you weren't the perfect Mormon family, you were struggling to do all the things right and everything. But did that ever show through on the front end? Like when you went to church, did people just think, oh, you're the perfect Mormon family and Sister Stone sitting out there in the car is just a brat. Like what, what were the, what was the ward's perception? I would say I was not ever perceived as a perfect Mormon kid. I was so different from all of my, my, uh, friends that were also in the church. They had the spaghetti straps over their white t-shirt. That was the style. You know, I, I've, always been um, very chesty. So I would wear a shirt, I'd raise my arm and my shirt would come up and they would tug my shirt down and mm. um, like physically put their hands on me and tug my shirt down and say, your, your back is showing you, you know, that's not modest. We can buy you more modest clothes. And they would like pin me as Aww. this, uh, this wild child, which by any non-Mormon standard, I was like the most docile and compliant kid, but by Mormon standards, my God, I was just impossible. And I didn't like, um, reading in class. I didn't like going to mutual. I, I did one, sorry, two temple recommend interviews. And the second one, um, I wasn't about to confess anything else again. I was like, nope, this isn't happening. So I just refused to pay tithing. So everybody knew I wasn't going to the temple. I wasn't planning on going to BYU. Like it was just, I think they recognized that I and one of my other sisters were kind of problematic, mm-hmm. but my dad was still just like so beloved. Um So, I mean, I knew that because of how I was behaving, like my dad was never going to be a bishop. Like he didn't have those perfect bishop kids. So, um, I don't know it. I had some young women's leaders who would be total bitches to me just because I wasn't, you know, like, like the, the perfect Mormon friends. And, um, because of that, I was kind of one of the weird ones. And there was this weird culture of like pairing uh, one of the girls with one of the boys is like, well, they're, I don't know if that makes sense to you guys, but because I was like a weird one and I was kind of an outsider, I would always get like the weird guy. And they're (laughs) like, well, you have to go, you have to go to homecoming with him. And I'm like, 
I don't even like this guy. Like, we're not even friends. But because I wasn't pretty or uh, devout, then I had to go with the ugly guy. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'd rather just not go. Um, why, why couldn't you go with a not Mormon guy? Because then I wouldn't be able to go with their group. So right. they'd all go to homecoming as a group and share a ride or whatever. And then, you know, eat ice cream afterward. And if I didn't go with one of the guys in the group, then I wouldn't be allowed to go with the group at all. They wouldn't let you bring an outsider. And this is like the friend group making these rules or is this their parents? Well, in our or- ward. Yeah. 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 It was just like, that's just like the, the clickish culture. Yeah. Well, and okay. then the guy probably had his own friend group too. Like you just, you just can't mix groups, Bishop. Um, yeah. Well, and so for us, I- it, for us growing up, cause there was a large Mormon population at the high school I went to, we had uh, like everybody had their grad date and went to grad and then there was a Mormon after grad, right? Like everybody else went to like, mm-hmm. you know, their party and got drunk and stuff because, you know, graduation and then skipped school the next day because they were hung over. But then there was a Mormon after grad that one of the wealthy families hosted and there was, you know, pool and party and drinks and, you know, whatever. But it was, it was just Mormon kids keeping the rules. Um, and so, yeah, there's like, you can't bring outsiders to that. But I did, like, we we also had the same thing, but I brought my non-Mormon girlfriend. You had me. a girlfriend? Yeah, Disgusting. it was pretty, Bishop. everybody was paranoid I was going to get her pregnant. <laughs> That's <laughs> that what happens. Like per- you just date somebody. Prevailing. And I don't even know how to explain it. They become it. pregnant. Yeah. Bam, yeah, they're pregnant. But I would bring her around, but then some of the more kind of bitchy, pious Mormon girls would be like, hey, you're dating a non-member. I'm like, look, number one, like, me and you aren't interested in each other, so it's not like, like I don't know what the jealousy's for. I don't. I honestly don't know. I give a crap about this, and and like number two, um, you know why don't you go be a member missionary and quit being a bitch? And just go be your go friend. convert some boy. <laughs> I was talk, talking about my non-Mormon girlfriend. Like you got a problem with my non-Mormon girlfriend? Why don't you go be nice to her for a change? Yeah, and then uh, maybe she'll be a Mormon someday instead yeah. of doing this bitchy thing. Yeah. Anyway, this is not my interview, though. Sorry. <laughs> I'm I'm curious. So, like, move moving forward, like it seems like you know you were always on this path out out of the church, right? So evil and dark, and then you start dating a Muslim guy uh, while you're you were living with your dad at the time, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. so, because at that point I was going to community college, so okay. it was like I'm going to live with him until I'm done with my associate's degree and I was dating this, this Muslim guy that I went to high school with. And we actually dated for about three years. He was my first boyfriend, my first love. And, um, when we broke up and this is kind of where everything started to fall apart for me is when we broke up, I was absolutely heartbroken. Like I would go to class in the morning just, and just start crying. If my teacher even looked at me and it was like that for a couple of weeks, I would wake up in the middle of the night sobbing. And, you know, I was very affected by that. Mm-hmm. And I remember the night after he and I broke up, I heard my dad talking on the phone to my aunt. And I heard him say that um, he was relieved 
because now I could finally find a nice Mormon boy or returned missionary. And I'm thinking, you don't even, you don't even care about what makes me happy. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started to realize that my dad's love was absolutely conditional. Mm -hmm. He cared more about my salvation than he did about my happiness. And it was just like, well, I, I can't pretend like this forever. And so when I, I graduated with my associates, I started, I took a year off to try to save money and I went, um, out of town for a bachelor's degree. And that's sort of when I was able to finally be free, which ultimately led to me no longer talking to my dad. And it's been 10 years since I've talked to him, um, like zero contact. And, uh, that has a lot to do with the church. And, you know, I never grieved losing the church because I felt like I never really had much, um, emotional tie to it. But, you know, I, when I went through my angry phase towards the church, it was also because of my dad's actions Mm -hmm. and I'm, you know, I can, it's a a bit of a story, but I'm happy to give the keep going. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we're here for. Yeah. So my dad at the time was dating this. So I was going to school in the center of the state. Mm -hmm. And, um, so my dad was living on the East side. He had a girlfriend on the West side of the state and, um, so I was on my dad's health insurance. I was on his cell phone plan. He gave me some grocery money every once in a while. Everything else, I paid my own tuition, my own rent. I had two jobs while I was going to college and um, and doing full-time classes. So it was my birthday. I was like, hey, I'm coming home for my birthday. He's like, okay, I'll take you out to dinner. I'll buy you a present. I wanted boots because it was cold there in the winter. And so I was like, cool. I get off work and um, I called him and I said, Hey, I'm heading out now. I'll be there in a couple hours. And he calls me back and he's like, Oh shoot. I'm so sorry. I forgot. I'm going to go to, you know, this bitch's house. And I'm like, Oh, okay. That's fine. I'll still come home and eat your groceries. That's fine. So I called one of my friends and I said, Hey, you want to go hang out at my dad's house for the weekend? So she comes with me and we stay the night at my dad's house. And my younger sister was living with him at the time. So my friend um, buys a bottle of very cheap champagne and a pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And we watch George of the Jungle because Brendan Fraser was so friggin' hot in that movie. So we were just, you know, being dumb. I think I was turning 23. So definitely an adult at this point. So we drink our bottle of champagne and uh, leave the next day. And I had forgotten to take the trash out of the kitchen and put it outside. So according to my younger sister, he found that bottle in the trash and he lost his shit. He just went on this rampage. He, uh, he had these puppy training pads for our dogs because he didn't have time to come home. He was like so busy working overtime and visiting his girlfriend. He would just leave a puppy pad on the floor and leave the dogs for like 18 hours by themselves. So it was awful. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he put that bottle of champagne on the puppy pad for the dogs to pee on to make a statement 
And my younger sister was like, that's gross. So she threw it away. And he, I can't remember what he did in that something he did made her mad. So she grabbed a picture of him and her and put it on the puppy training pad as like a joke. And he, he started like directing his anger towards her and he threatened to kick her out of the house because of it. And, um, you know, he was, and then I start feeling protective of my little sister. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, he was, I didn't want her to become homeless because I had champagne. (laughs) Like, so his reaction to me bringing this bottle of champagne, this evil substance into his home, um, was, to me, very disproportionate to like my crime. Um, so I had called him and I told him like, you need to leave my little sister out of this. This isn't her fault. And he started accusing me of, um, just all sorts of bullshit. Like how, um, I, I didn't like those dogs anyways. And how dare I bring this, this thing into his house. And I mean, it was just, so I hung up on him and he didn't like that because he is a narcissist. Mm -hmm. And, um, so then later that night he calls me and he's telling me that, um, I'm cut off. He's taking me off the health insurance. He's cutting off my cell phone. He's not going to help me at all anymore. If I want to be like that, then, um, I'm on my own. And I started to argue. I was like, I can't, I can't support, like, I can't get my own health insurance. I can't afford that. Then his girlfriend apparently was on the other line. And she starts telling me that if I want to live my own life, like they're giving me a chance to be an adult and make my own choices. And I said, I believe I said, what the fuck is this bitch trying to tell me how to live my life? And then she loses her shit and she hangs up and he's telling me I've ruined his relationship with her and, and she's going to leave him. And I'm like, Jesus, like anyway, so I got a new phone, texted in the next day and said, you can turn off this, this cell phone account and, uh, feel free to never contact me again. And I spoke to him once after that. And that's because I was diagnosed with precancerous cervical cells. So I called him a few months later and I said, please don't take me off the health insurance. I, I don't know if I'm going to have to have my cervix removed. I don't know if I'm going to have to have, you know, whatever kind of treatment and tests. He told me that I'm the one that ordered for no contact and that this is my fault. And, um, and he basically, he literally said your health insurance ends on December 31st. Good luck. I'm like, what the fuck? My dad just basically told me good luck with cancer. So all of this over drinking a bottle of champagne for my 23rd birthday in his house. You didn't trash the and house. That, like, that, you, like We were doing body shots off of each other and having a lesbian orgy, you know? I mean, just like, <laughs> like it was just drinking like a $10 bottle of champagne. Yeah. <sighs> Watching George of the Jungle, of course, which is sinful in and of itself. Yeah. Shame on him for having a shirt off like disgusting (laughs) this is really like the most shocking story i've ever heard oh like 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 face to face so it sounds like you've done a bit of time processing this because i just imagine 
if this was my life story, I'd be bawling my eyes out. Yeah, well, I also um, got fired from my job about a month after that and um, right. still had tuition to pay. And thankfully, I had all of my sisters who, you know, they really came through for me. They mm-hmm. helped one of them paid my utility bills for a couple months. And that's when I realized, like, my dad's love is conditional. Mm-hmm. Like, that mm-hmm. solidified that for me. But my sisters will love me for whoever you know, whoever I choose to be. Yeah. And it was after that, that I realized I started to actually learn who I was, um, started to really like who I was turning into. I was, I've never been like a major party or yes, I've smoked marijuana. I have, I'm in a wine club membership now, like, but my mom thinks that I'm a total alcoholic because I have <laughs> any wine at all, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? It's, she has actually told some of my siblings, like, um, that she's worried about me mm-hmm. and, uh, she's insane. She's a different kind of insane. Um, but I have zero contact with my dad now and he's tried multiple times to rekindle that. And I have no interest in it because, and I think it's, it's important for anybody who's struggling with this, um, need to keep in touch with their family just because they're family, Mm -hmm. even though their family doesn't respect their wishes. And I think this is pretty common in, um, in LGBTQ members of the church that their family rejects them. And I think it's so important to recognize you don't have to keep anybody in your life who is toxic and who is going to make you feel bad about yourself. And it took a long time for me to get to that point. And I don't regret cutting him out of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he values the church over his own kids. So why would I need to talk to him? Yeah. And so part of my anger phase towards the church was that that relationship wouldn't have fallen apart if it weren't for his beliefs in the church. Right. Right. It, it's the greatest irony in the church is families first, unless, unless, your family members do something against the church, then cut them off. You know, they're, they're out, they're out of here. Yeah. So I'm curious about like how you started to get over it. And then also, you know, you mentioned that your sister's love isn't conditional on all this stuff. And so as you made it clear, not that you just weren't in a rebellious phase, but that you were like done with the church like how, how did people start reacting and how did you process that? Um, I've always been pretty blunt about Mm. those sort of things. Like even in church, I've made my opinions rather clear. Um, it's just in front of my parents, I was, uh, little more cautious. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think a lot of my friends, they kind of knew like Megan was never really fully into it. Um, so as far as like friends and the rest of my family, it was no shock to them. Um, but I think my dad had projected a lot of his belief onto me. And so that's why his reaction was so extreme. Um, I, I guess the way I sort of got over it is, um, So I got married because I was about to lose my health insurance. I needed a place to live. Um, Anyway, so that marriage lasted a little under four years. He was kind of a garbage person. Um, But 
it was a marriage of convenience. And um, because of that, so we ended up, uh, I, I finished college, I got a science degree. And interestingly enough, I had uh, studied geology and my dad was a bit of a young earth creationist. So <laughs> yeah, that fits. <laughs> yep. Um, so when I, when I got divorced and my life felt like it was kind of, so I got married immediately after my dad cut off my, um, health insurance out of panic and it was fine for a while. And I, I got a decent job, not as a geologist, but, um, you know, I was still struggling a little bit and, uh, I was a bit of an anti-Mormon, I guess, as you guys refer to it as an ex-Mormon, I was still, uh, very much interested in destroying the church mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. one person at a time, trying yep. to lure people away. Um, and, I think the way I truly got over it is after I got divorced, I started just doing what I wanted and realized like, I don't have to answer to anybody. I don't have to ask permission to do anything. I got a tattoo. Like I did all the things, but I didn't get a tattoo in response to um, leaving the church. I got a tattoo because I, I really like that look it's on my foot. And, um, you know, I like drinking Hefeweizens. Like it's a really delicious beer. I don't drink them and I didn't start drinking them because I was trying to prove how not Mormon I was. Mm. I just got to a point where I was like, I can do anything. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is very refreshing. And um, then I met my current husband Um and I've just gotten to a point in my life now, and it has now been about 10 years since I've officially severed all ties with the church. But once I started dating my current husband and I was in a really happy place in my life, um, and I've struggled with depression and a lot of mental health issues. And um, I have realized that everything that I have experienced up until now has put me in my current position. Everything I've struggled through, every had I not been cut off by my dad, I never would have married my ex, and then we wouldn't have gotten married and divorced when we did. I got divorced at the perfect time to meet my current husband, who, you know, also had been in a long-term relationship, and those stars just aligned perfectly. And and so everything that I've been through, everything that he's been through, every bad experience and struggle has put me where I am now. And I'm, I'm quite happy with my life. And I know that there will be struggles in the future and hopefully I'll be able to get through them and be better off on the other side. So it's that retrospective, um, it's just being able to look back and, and recognize that it all worked out. Hmm. You know, I, I cut some toxic people out of my life and, um, and I'm a lot better for it now. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the, the whole point of, of this show that, that Bishop Jensen and I are doing is to get ourselves away from defining ourselves by Mormonism. Like he said, you you don't drink because you can now because you're not Mormon. You know, you're drinking because you like it, right? 
and uh, and it sounds like you've you've gotten gotten to that point. Um, not that this is not an advice show in any in any way, but I'm curious to hear like your thoughts on like what something people can people listening can can do to get themselves through that phase of that hurt and when you're freshly cutting people out of your life and and changing your behavior because you're not Mormon anymore, what's something people can do to work towards the place where they're just them and they're not defining their life by Mormonism at all? Um, oh, that, it is hard because everybody has their own experiences. Like I said, one of my sisters recently within the last few years left the church and um, she and her husband left together and they were both angry. And sometimes I still see that anger towards the church come through. And um, uh, I think with anything, it takes time, you know, just, just forgive yourself. I think um, I carried a lot of that shame and guilt with me for ages. I mean, I, even after I left the church, I still had a lot of, um, especially around sex, drugs, those kinds of things. Uh, I would still feel bad about it. Mm -hmm. And I went through my slutty phase in college. And for a while it was like, really, you know, I, I hated myself over it. And I finally was able to just let go and forgive myself and, and, you know, recognize other people don't struggle with these feelings of shame. Like if you want to, you know, bang that kid in seminary or in seminary, Jesus, (laughs) (laughs) chemistry class, do it. Yeah. Um, I never banged anybody in seminary. No, I didn't. So, you know, it's just, you have to forgive yourself. You have to be patient with yourself. And, um, you know, it, the hardest thing to do is to let other people live their lives, you know, and, and to stop trying to pull them away. Because after I left, I still had, you know, a sister trying to pull me back into the church. And I'm like, do you do you realize what you're asking of me? And now she's out and she um, is sort of at the intermediate phase where she claims that she doesn't care anymore, but she still does. And it's okay. You know, here I am 10 years later, interested in an ex Mormon podcast and, and I shouldn't be, but it's just fascinating to me because so my husband has never been Mormon. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'll say something and, uh, he will like, look at me kind of funny. And I'm like, Oh, sorry. That's like a, like a Mormon thing. And and he doesn't understand that aspect of my life, but hearing other people who have those experiences, you know, talk about it, it kind of dates um, how I felt. And it's not something that I can never really share with my current friends or, or my husband, because he doesn't know what it was like. And uh, he's more like, he thinks it's interesting, but he doesn't understand the emotional impact mm-hmm. that any of it had. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that hearing the healing process of others helps. Mm-hmm. Um, but just be patient. You're going to get through it. Nothing lasts forever. So even good and bad feelings, none of it lasts forever. Yeah. 
Yeah. I don't I, know if that sounds depressing. To me, it's uplifting. <laughs> no, and I, I, you know, that idea of like this too shall pass, right? It's, I, I think it is nice and, and kind of comforting um, because when you get, and we've talked on the show before about how there's not really an anger phase. You just have moments of anger, right? You bring up something that, you know, that you experienced and it might be 10 years down the roads the last time that you thought about that, but you might still feel that emotion again and you might still get angry and frustrated about it or sad about it or whatever emotion that is attached to it. And that's okay. And it's okay to, you know, it's okay to listen to the podcast and to talk to people about it. And when you meet another ex-Mormon, you know, to commiserate a little bit and be like, oh, and this and that and you know, I've done that with strangers, you know, who it's like, you're an ex-Mormon. And then, you know, I haven't talked about it with other people in months, but then it's like, okay, yeah, this is crazy. Right. And, uh, and I think that's part of the healing process. And that process is, is ongoing, um, for all of us. Uh, do you have anything else that, that you'd like to cover that you want to talk about that you want to share Um, I mean, I think I would just talk about, or want to mention that, um, you can believe whatever you want once you don't have to just sever all ties with all religion. Mm -hmm. Um, you can be agnostic, you can be atheist, you can go back to a Christian church, you can, you know, I don't know, join Buddhism your beliefs are your own Mm -hmm. and I have chosen to be completely non-spiritual. I think that being raised in an environment where uh, religious compliance is held above all else Mm -hmm. um, that has sort of prevented me from ever wanting to pursue any other kind of religion. So, you know, other people will have different um, different desires to pursue any kind of spirituality. And I think that for people who are deeply in the church and then sort of have their world shatter around them, a lot of them end up having some kind of identity crisis. Um, you know, when you have identified yourself as a Mormon your whole life and then suddenly you realize this isn't right, this is, you know, complete bogus, you start searching for um, another way to define yourself. And I've seen some pretty crazy substitutes, like I want to be Wiccan now and, you know, just some funny um, things that people throw themselves into. And um, it's okay to want to be spiritual. You don't have to do a 80 against it. Mm -hmm. I've sort of always been a bit agnostic, a little bit nihilist, but Um, I guess that's my other piece of advice is be as spiritual as you want to. Hmm. Yeah. I like that. Bishop, do you have any, uh, any more questions for sister stone at the conclusion of the sacrament meeting? No, I'm good. I'm just uh, grateful uh, that you're able to come on and uh, share your story, share a very, very different story from any of the other ones we've heard Mm -hmm. or any of our other guests. I think what we find uh, when people share their stories, it's um, there's always somebody who's going to identify with, with mm-hmm. your situation and you're going to be able to help somebody kind of heal from their exit 
from Mormonism. Yeah. Um, so just very yeah. thankful for another voice. Yeah. Well, and I've been very interested to hear each of you talk about how you still have relationships with your family as strained as they may be. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like, uh, I can't remember how long each of you have been um, out of the church, but comparatively it's a little bit more recent mm-hmm. and um, hopefully you will be able to maintain those relationships and, you know, two Thanksgivings from now, um, yeah. it won't be as awkward, but, um, you know, for me, it's, my family's always been a little fucked up. So, and I'm okay with that. I, I am a little envious that, that you guys still talk to your Mormon side of your family and, mm-hmm. um, but I'm okay with where I am. Yeah. So, uh, and I think that's a really important thing to note is that everybody has their own situation, and finding a way to be happy in yours and make your situation work is really important. Uh, in one of our episodes from the the summer, uh, we interviewed Mandy, who is non-binary, and they they also cut ties with their family. And when I asked them about that. I said, well, you know, doesn't that suck? Do you ever think, you know, I wish I could just call up my mom and and talk to her? And Mandy said, well, no, because I know that's not a healthy relationship. And when you find a way to move on healthily from those relationships and then find new family, find new people who are part of your quote-unquote tribe, who you fit in with in one way or another that you can connect with, and build healthy relationships with, because the important thing is having healthy relationships, not relationships with your family. And, uh, and, and so I, uh, yeah, any, anybody who has, you know, made that move to cut off from their family, that's like the hardest thing, you know, for somebody to do. Um, but if they're not good for you and you've been able to make that move, I think that's fantastic. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, uh, it's not necessary to completely cut it clean. You mm-hmm. can keep them at an arm's length. You yep. can, you know, just be a holiday family. You see them twice a year. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I hope that this sharing of my experience has at least some value to, to anybody who's listening, who's struggling with that. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that a lot. Well, And with that, I guess we will close the sacrament meeting. Our closing hymn today will be hymn number 188, There is a Green Hill Far Away. I would be amazed if I got that number right. Um, But uh, somebody, uh, the secretary, bishop's secretary, can check that. And uh, we'll go over that in ward council. And uh, yeah, no second hour today. We're still locked down because of COVID. Um, So go home, be, be with the people you love. And uh, we'll uh, we'll catch you whenever we do another episode. Oh, in the name of Jesus Christ, Amen. Amen. Amen.